Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. History is carried forward through the stories a culture tells and values. That's why stories have the power to shape our world and define our identity. However, for most of human history, the storytellers have been men, and women's voices have been largely absent. According to my guest, Elizabeth Lesser, had there been an equal blend of male and female voices, it would have changed our culture, our values, and the way that we live. In her new book, Cassandra Speaks, she explores these issues in depth, which we will be discussing today. Elizabeth Lesser is the author of The Seeker's Guide, Marrow, and the New York Times bestseller, Broken Open. She is a co-founder of Omega Institute, recognized internationally for its workshops and conferences in wellness, spirituality, creativity, and social change. She's given two popular TED Talks and is one of Oprah Winfrey's Super Soul 100, a collection of leaders using their voices and talent to elevate humanity. In this interview, Elizabeth and I will discuss the messages and stories we've been told through the ages and its impact on how women feel about their appearance, sense of power, and their abilities. We'll also talk about the steps that we can take to change the narrative so that it empowers both women and men. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you for having me. I'm just so pleased to be with you today and all of your beautiful listeners and viewers. Yeah, I mean, we're just so excited to have you on the show. I absolutely love your work. I read The Seeker's Guide um, a couple of years ago, and I really liked how you were able to synthesize various world traditions. Uh, I learned so much from reading that one book, and it was pivotal in my spiritual journey. So I just want to thank you for writing it. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to hear that. But today, we're going to be talking about your latest book, Cassandra Speaks, which, again, gave me plenty of epiphanies. And uh, I'm excited to share, um, share some of the topics that you cover in the book, because you, you do cover a lot with our listeners here today. So, Elizabeth, I want to start by uh, talking about your involvement in the women's empowerment movement. You've been actively engaged in the conversation for a few years now. Uh, you co-founded the Omega Women's Leadership Center in 2012. So what made you decide uh, to do a deep dive into the stories about women and their roles in history? Well, I have called myself a feminist my whole life. 
even as a little girl, I was prematurely aware that there was a grave imbalance in the world. And it started in my own little world, because our little worlds are just little pictures of the big world. And my little world was of one father, one powerful father, and my mom, who was a, such a smart woman. And then we, I come from a family of four daughters. So it was a very female household because my grandmother and great aunt lived with us a lot of the time. So it was my father, just a creative, fantastic, very controlling guy. Like, like so many um, men as little boys are taught to be. It's your world. So you control it. And he had a totally female world. And for some reason, I was the only daughter in the house who felt this isn't fair. How come we all don't get a say in what we do as a family and what our values are? So from a very young age, I took it upon myself to be like, wait a minute here. How come we don't get some sort of equal say in society as to who gets to make the rules, who gets to express the values, the art. And it, it was deep in me because I felt the unfairness as a little girl in a male-dominated family. And I loved my dad. And I love men. I'm, I'm married to a man. I have three sons. I have grandsons. I work with men. It was never about they're bad, women are good. And I still don't believe that. Women have just as many rough edges as men. But the whole system, going all the way back to our earliest days in creating human society, have been dominated by just one half of human society. Not all bad, but very unbalanced. So from a very young age, I was both interested in spiritual development, inner development, which has nothing to do with gender or sex. But I also was very interested in how our society could be uh, a more balanced and beautiful expression of humanity, which required listening to half of humanity. And do you think that you were influenced by the conversation that was happening uh, when you were at the peak of your, your youth? Because I believe that was around the 70s, right? 70s and 80s. And, yeah. 80s. and I was very influenced by um, the movements of those times, as I think we all are as young people. You know, young people have that drive to innovate and make big change. Thank God. I look at the younger activists now and I'm like, thank you, girls and boys, go for it. I'm older now. I don't have that same fire in my belly. But I had a, a very intense fire in my belly when I was in my teens and 20s. And the um, movements at that time were very much the burgeoning feminist movement in the United States, the civil rights movement the anti-Vietnam War movement. And I was very involved in all of them. And in the book, you actually refer to, you know, the history of how it all led to where we are right now. You mentioned a couple of stories in the book, but there was one story that really struck me because it felt a little bit personal, was uh, the Pygmalion and Galatea 
tale. Yeah. And you see that women are still under that ancient spell that dictates what our bodies are supposed to look like, why, and for whom. And unfortunately, Elizabeth, it's still pervasive in our society. Women are getting Botox, they're airbrushing their photos before posting them on Instagram. So how can women begin to see through this idealization of of feminine beauty? How can they see it for what it is? Well, the first answer to that question is just for me to answer to everybody, why, why, why be interested in a story that was written by the Greeks several thousand years ago? Like, what's it got to do with us today? And one of my favorite historians Sally Roche-Wagner, she's an American historian, says, history isn't what happened. It's who tells the story. And that's so true. You know it in your own life. Two friends can have an exact same experience, and I I could tell the story, and it could sound kind of different from someone else's perspective. So history, as we understand it, is a perspective of who told the story. And most of our ancient tales, whether it's the Bible, the Quran, the Bhagavad Gita, Buddha's tales, like they were all written by men. Yeah. Those were I never realized scribes. that. Yeah. I never realized that until I, until I read it in the book, I'm like, oh my gosh, she is so right. You know? And, you know, of course, a story told by man a man isn't necessarily a bad story at all. Yeah. But as I just said, it's like if I had something happen to me and I experienced it one way and somebody else told the story another way, neither is wrong, but together they create a whole vision of what might've happened. So women have been left out of the storytelling. And as you say, I tell a lot of stories in the book Cassandra is what I named the book after. That's Correct. a Greek story. I tell a story of Adam and Eve, and other box. Bible stories, Pandora. Yeah. But that story that you mentioned of Pygmalion and Galatea is one that so many readers say to me, okay, those other stories, interesting, yeah, but that story, it's dominating my life. Yes. And that story is ancient. It's an ancient Greek myth. And you have to remember a lot of these old tales are myths. They're made up. They're not real stories all the way back to Adam and Eve in the Bible. Uh, These are stories that are archetypes of humans. They're made up stories. So the made up story of Pygmalion, who was a sculptor in ancient Greece, and Galatea, who was a sculptor sure that he made because he was disgusted with the women of his times. He and many people in his society thought women had gotten a little away from their demure, pure behavior, what they were supposed to have. And he considered all the women in his society as whores and prostitutes, and he wanted nothing to do with them. He could not find a pure morally upright woman. So he went and locked himself into his sculptor's studio, and he started to carve out of pure white ivory, as, as the story goes, and it's told in a poetic way, the most pure, chaste woman he could imagine. 
And the gods were watching his progress and the goddesses and the gods, they were like, look at Pygmalion. He is finally making a woman in the image of purity and beauty. And he made her pure white. He may, and that is said over and over. In fact, yes, the word Galatea means milky white. She was white. She was thin. She was chaste. She was a virgin. Uh, she was quiet. In fact, she couldn't talk at all because she was made of stone. And he started to fall in love with her as he was uh, chipping away. And he would put earrings in her ears and he would dress her, which is all kind of like a creepy story, if you ask me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it was told as if, look at the amazing Pygmalion remaking woman in the image of her chasteness, her whiteness, her thinness, her quietness, her, her doing whatever the man wants her to do and be and to look like. So when I say, and then of course the gods were so pleased, they made her come alive and, and they got married and had babies and everyone lived happily ever after because <laughs> the woman was beautiful in the yeah. eyes of the gods and the man. And so she could do no, she could do no wrong, basically. She could do no wrong because basically yeah. she could barely do anything. And you know, this story has been retold over and over lots of, you know, My Fair Lady, Pretty Woman, all the makeover shows we have now. Um, as you say, airbrushing on Zoom and and uh, Instagram and yeah. all the TikTok things about how to put on your makeup and how to lose weight and how to look like the image of we don't even know who is telling us anymore to look this way. You, you know who? We are. We have bought into the myth, and it's especially hard for older women. I speak from that perspective now with my like chin going like this and my wrinkles for women of color, for women from different cultures, for women who don't dress the way we're told to dress. It for all of us, even the thin, tall, milky white, very few among us who look like what's being shown in social media, magazines, we all um, suffer deeply from not understanding that every woman's body is as different as her heart and her mind, that who we are is not only how we look, our precious bodies are doing amazing things, even as you and I sit here, digesting food, firing from the mind to the body, the heart beating, the lungs breathing in air. We don't even understand that's what a body's for. We're more like a body is for to look good, to impress, to get the job, to get the man or the woman. It doesn't matter even what your sexuality is. We're all obsessed with trying to control our precious bodies for a function they were not meant to do. So I I am not surprised that this is the story you wanted to talk about because yeah. it's the one that dominates our consciousness. Can you imagine if we freed up our energy as women 
and stopped expending so much on this subject. And we're more interested in how do I create the newest way to to solve these terrible problems going on in the world or in my own life or to get healthy, to get strong, to get self-confident. We waste our energy on something that isn't even possible. Right. And do you think that this can be changed on a collective level? Because earlier it was like stories and myths that control the narrative. Now it's like the media, right? The movie industry, magazines, music. I mean, they really shape the narrative in today's day and age. So do you think that them changing this whole idea of what women are supposed to look like Do you think that would start creating positive change? Well, first of all, uh, back in the day of Pygmalion and Galatea, their social media were the myths. They were what people told around the well. And and, uh, that was the in their DNA. There's no difference now with social media and music and the theater and films. That's our mythology. That's them, and they are, the, and the storytellers in those media are the equivalent of the ancient myth tellers. So there's two ways to change it. One is to say, yes, it is in the realm of the social media, magazines, films, but that is secondary to what we as women, decide what we want to buy into. If we didn't believe it, it would lose its power. So I call myself both an activist and a word I made up, an innervist. Yes. And innervism to me is strengthening our inner core about what we believe about ourselves so that we're stronger than the cultural storytelling. So we can say, you know what? I'm 26. I don't think I'm going to pump up my lips, uh, wear hair extensions, clothe myself in so much Spanx that I can barely breathe. (laughs) And um, I'm not going to do that. You know why? Because I'm so much bigger and yeah. vaster than that. My soul cannot be contained in that narrative any longer. If we all could do some work strengthening our true selves, healing our deep wounds, coming into believing something about womanhood that's so much more kick ass, beautiful, powerful, vulnerable, tender. Than this image of the body, the social media w- would nobody would they'd be like that we wouldn't be airbrushing our Instagram feed anymore. We would be telling different stories and showing different tales. I mean, I go on Facebook and Instagram l- much less than I used to because you know I'm a meditator, so. Yeah. I have trained myself over a lifetime. How is this making me feel in my body, heart, mind, soul right now? Taking a few breaths instead of scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Ooh. It's addictive. I'm feeling. 
and I'm feeling that sense of comparison. Mm. Why are they going on vacation to that fancy <laughs> place? Why is her husband so this? Oh, their children are so like, I, I feel bad. I feel bad about myself. But it's all smoke and mirrors. It's not true what we It's not true. It's very present. curated. Yeah. It's curated. So why are we believing the curation? We know we're doing it ourselves with our own feeds. Exactly. So it's really about becoming aware of who do you want to be in the world? Yeah. How do you want to spend your precious energy and time? What stories does the world need now? And how can you be part of that better storytelling, starting with your own feeds and moving out into a bigger world? So true. So true. Um, and uh, one of the things that I had to do personally was reparent myself because um, I didn't grow up with a lot of positive body role models. So it's something that I had to I had to search for in my in my early 20s um, because I did go through a lot of body shaming when I was younger. Um, and I think a lot of people have to do that. A lot of women have to do that because they didn't exactly have, you know, that positive influence or anyone telling them about everything that you just mentioned, that they are beautiful, regardless of, of what they look like, their skin color, or their body shape. So I think that is also another piece of innerism, isn't it? Truly. And I had to do the same thing. I did not come from a family of what they call now body positive messaging um, at all. In fact, I came from a mom whose religious tradition pretty much didn't even believe you had a body. The body was really, um, unless you knew it as a temple of God and you could pray away its impurities, there was just so much deep shaming of even having a body that all that was left was to tap into the cultural norms. And, um, you know, I went through what a lot of women go through, a period of anorexia, because yeah. I, I am not a naturally skinny person. You know, I, I'm like, I have curves. I love to eat. I mean, I have, I have done so much work with my body image and falling in love with my body but as you say it takes reparenting now some of your viewers or listeners will say what does that mean reparenting and for me you know i consider myself a spiritual seeker and what i mean by that is a deep questioner of what the heck is going on you here. really are you really are you probe so deep elizabeth it's it's incredible <laughs> yeah. and part of that probing is is about the body um you know all the great literature spiritual religious literature talks about the beauty of nature milk and honey and the animals and eden and we forget our body is made of the same stuff. Our body is sacred. It is holy. It was given to us as the vehicle we travel on through this life. And it's ours to take care of and to celebrate and to say no to anything that's unhealthy, whether that's sexual harassment or bad food or those spanks 
which <laughs> make you not breathe. And to ask ourselves, I'm laughing because I'm sure everyone has experienced, every woman has experienced it yeah, at some point. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's one part of yeah. this women's empowerment that I'm passionate about, which is yeah. falling in love with our bodies and yeah. giving them what they need to thrive. Yeah. Beautiful message. Beautiful message. And there's one more aspect of the book that I want to, I want to discuss um, because I found it really fascinating um, You write about how power has been defined throughout the centuries uh, books from different cultures and eras. They typically focus on masculine narratives of domination, war, um, and aggression. And you believe that it's important to um, do power differently, as you put it, uh, by including skills and uh, skills and strengths of women. So, how do we begin to do that? Mm. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite topics these days. Yes. And you don't have to look very far at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah. You mentioned some books. You mentioned some <laughs> contemporary books, um, which I, I, I've actually read those. I don't know if, I'm, if I should mention them, but I, I was disturbed by, by what I read. The Machiavellian kind of take right. on power. I was just like, something in this does not sit well. It doesn't sit well with me. So, Yeah, and... We don't even need books right now. I mean, look yeah. at what's going on in the Ukraine. That's just one example. And it's exactly. everywhere in the world. But since that's so much in the news, the international news, let's just look at that for a, a second. If you ever wanted to get sort of just a tiny picture, a perfect picture of male domination power, you look at someone like Putin and you say, this is, you know, a lot of men, even men who don't believe in what Putin's doing, it's like, well, that's a powerful dude. That's a guy who knows how to go in and show him what he wants and take what he wants and get what he wants. And by any means necessary and violence sometimes is necessary and domination is sometimes necessary. And OK, he's going to war. Now we're going to go to war and war has a terrible track record. All it does is create more war. But then you have aggressors, and what are you going to do? Get rolled over? No. But this is the story of history of aggressors aggressing and then people having to defend and rise to the level of the monster who's attacking them. Mm -hmm. This is one form of power. But it is not the only way we have an incredible toolbox that we can use to deal with conflict before it blossoms into aggression, war, violence, unkindness, domination, whether that's at work, whether that's in the big world, whether that's in a family. And women have a lot of deep skills that have never been allowed to enter the big scheme of things. In fact, what women often bring to the table, listening, cooperating, uh, caretaking, empathizing, compassion, these are seen as like, oh, they're nice. They're very nice, soft skills. But actually, what I'm about 
is making those skills so respected, so empowered that we would turn to them first. And not only women have the ability to, to, to listen, to empathize, to get people to the table, to cooperate before they aggress. Everyone has that ability, but women have honed those skills over the years because we, that's what you do when you're a mom. That's what you do when you're a teacher. That's what you do when you're a nurse. The only jobs that we have been allowed to have require those skills. We've gotten awesome at them. So I say, let us at the big tables where the decisions are being made. Look what happened during the early days of the pandemic. It was the countries led by women, whether it was New Zealand or some of the Scandinavian countries or Germany, that did the best with the pandemic because they were able to get the medical people talking to the government people. They were able to tell a narrative to their people that made them go along with a cooperative way of being. We need that now. We don't have time anymore. We need the caretakers to become the leaders. We need an ethos of care instead of domination. And I think women have a lot to teach about that. Okay. How can we express those qualities within ourselves, let's say in the workplace or in um, our personal life without feeling that sense of being, you know, being conscious of, of these of these labels that are typically associated with being, you know, feminine. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the first thing is to try to convince yourself that what you feel and you see and you intuit is real, worthy, and necessary. This is the changing of an inner narrative instead of like, um, I have something to say, but I'm sorry if I'm interrupting. You know how sometimes at work you start every conversation with an apology? So practicing not apologizing for your deeper instincts about what is needed in the moment, either at home with your kids or husband or wife or whatever, or in the workplace, practicing believing yourself. That's one thing. And the the uh, narrative that's been told that men should be listened to and women should be quiet. Back to that story of Pygmalion and the chaste, quiet woman. Finding your voice and practicing knowing that it's good to say what you feel. It's good to say what you know, but to say it with kindness also. We can be strong and kind at the same time. I have a meditation and you can read about it in the book and Cassandra Speaks. And it's also on my website that I call the do no harm, which is the oath that medical practitioners take to do no harm, but take no shit. Both of these ways of being. And I have, I have built that into my body now, this sense of a strong back and a soft open front. This is the new way of doing power. 
with strength and kindness, both. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. I I really appreciate you being here. Um, Thank you for your wisdom and your profound insights that you've shared with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hello to everybody. It's been a pleasure. And I have to say that there's so much to unpack in this book. um, And I encourage everyone to get a copy of it so that they can soak it all in. Um, And the book is available wherever books are sold and on Elizabeth's website, elizabethlesser.org. Okay. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's been an honor and a pleasure talking to you. You too. Have a wonderful day. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.